The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. Good morning. Good morning, 11 o'clock. Good to see you all here. Uh, If you're online with us, welcome. My name's Chris. I'm the lead pastor here. Glad to be spending some time together. Uh, If you do have a Bible with you, and I hope you do, let's open it up to Matthew chapter 2. If you've got a phone or a tablet, you can open that up to Matthew 2. If you are online with us, you can Google search Matthew 2, or you can even click on the screen. There's a little Bible part to our uh, streaming experience. You can go Matthew chapter 2. This is a familiar story, but I want you to see some stuff in the text, so get a uh, hand on the text, please. Uh, As you're turning to Matthew 2, I just need you to know um, I'm a post-Thanksgiving Christmas guy. Normally. Right? Okay, so like 2020 is in the wind. Okay, like uh, legit, we thought about putting our Christmas decorations up in April. We were just like, you know what? Forget about it. Why don't we just string the lights up? It's beautiful out. Let's just do it. We didn't, okay? Uh, I held out until sometime in late October, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. We, uh, we are, 2020, everybody gets a pass with Christmas, but I'm normally a post-Thanksgiving Christmas guy. And so now that we are post-Thanksgiving, uh, we can all agree it's appropriate to be in the Christmas spirit. And so I have officially started listening to Christmas music, uh, which is only appropriate after the turkey is finished. That's just my rule of thumb. Uh, but uh, I noticed some problems as I've listened to some of this Christmas music, some of my favorite traditional Christmas songs. I've noticed some problems that the lyrics just aren't quite right on some of these songs. So, so here for you today, I, I want to present my top incorrect Christmas lyrics from our favorite Christmas songs, which I hope in turn ruins the holidays for you. Okay, that's my goal. Happy 2020. First, from the song, I Saw Three Ships. You know the song, I Saw Three Ships? I saw three ships from sailing on Christmas Day, on Christmas Day. You know that song? Uh, Okay, probably not. It's It's a little random. There's this weird verse. Let me just read it to you. Oh, they sailed into Bethlehem on Christmas Day, on Christmas Day. Oh, they sailed into Bethlehem on Christmas Day in the morning. Um, Yo, Bethlehem is landlocked. Ain't nobody sailing to Bethlehem, all right? I, I, I did a little research online to try and figure out who came up with this. Like, what are they going for? I, I read some nonsense online that the three ships represent Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus. No, that ain't, that ain't how it works, okay? Is this some attempt at a maritime, like a marine sort of Christmas song? I don't know. I don't know what it is, but you should pitch that one in the trash, okay? Nat King Cole, take that home. That's no good, okay? Second song, got some problems with, Silent Night. Don't step on toes, right? That's everybody's favorite. Light the candle and hold it up high, right? Everybody loves Silent Night. Here's, you know the the song. Silent Night, Holy Night, all is calm, all is bright. Um... When Marcy and I were pregnant with, well, she was pregnant, I was just there. Uh, but when Marcy uh, was pregnant with our daughter, we, we went to a class, a pre-birth class, and it was a natural birth class, which we did not opt for, by the way. Uh, but uh, let me just tell you something. There's nothing silent, calm, bright about the birth process, even after the epidural. There's just, it's, it, it, they should rename that song Crazy Night, Right? Because in a barn with animals, having a baby in Bethlehem in the first century, it would have been nuts. 
it was not silent or calm or shiny or anything, okay? Uh, third from the song, Away in a Manger. Away in a Manger. There's this one line that always gets me in this song, and it's the line that says, the cattle are lowing, the baby awakes. But little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. You tell me, okay? Uh, you tell me, if your baby wakes up to a cow mooing in his face, you think he's going to make some noise? You think he's going to scream out? Like, baby Jesus would have been freaked out by that cow. I'm just putting all my money on it. He was fully man and fully God, but fully man. The fully man portion of Jesus would have been freaked out by the cow lowing in his face, okay? And then today, we're going to talk about the song, We Three Kings, okay? We Three Kings. This one is just plain historically inaccurate, all right, so, uh, so my goal is that I'm going to ruin this one for you today as well. Welcome to Advent Week 2. Everybody feeling festive? We feeling good? Okay. Uh, so Eric preached last week, one of our elders, and he, and he started off this Advent series by uh, wor- telling us that we are working through uh, Matthew's gospel account of the Christmas story, specifically the birth of Christ. And I just wanted you to know, by way of context, we only have four chapters in our Bible that explicitly deal with the birth of Jesus. Like the birth narrative is, is only, it only shows up in Matthew chapter one and two, Matthew chapter one and two, and Luke chapter one and two. Mark skips it entirely. John goes into a, like an existential crisis moment for all of us. But Matthew and Luke are the, we got four chapters to cover every Christmas until Christ returns. This is what I have to preach every single Christmas until Christ comes back. Now, uh, so, so what we're going to do is this, is, this read through the gospel of Matthew has been fascinating to me because as I've studied it this year, I've noticed that almost none of what we find in Luke's account shows up in Matthew's account. And almost none of what shows up in Matthew's account shows up in Luke's account. And that struck me as strange because you would think if it were really important stuff, they both would have handled it. And yet they don't. So why? Why would they offer different accounts of what seems to be a pretty big deal, virgin birth of the Messiah of the world. Why so many differences? Now, Eric again told us last week that Matthew was writing to address a specific audience. And specifically, Matthew was writing to uh, mostly a Jewish audience. And therefore, some of the things that are likely written into his account, his gospel account, uh, are, are meant to kind of stimulate the Hebrew mind. To, to kind of uh, make people who are uh, with, with, with kind of a background in Jewish tradition and the Old Testament to kind of some light bulbs to go on. And that might be a little bit different than how Luke recounts it. So that might be one of the explanations. But with this in mind, what I want to do is I want to look at uh, Matthew chapter 2, and I want to engage this passage with that in thought, that this was written to a mostly Jewish audience and uh, what can we actually get from this story? So this is going to be a very familiar passage to almost all of us. Even if you're like here for the very first time, this is your first time you're logging on or something uh, and you've never been to church before, you're probably uh, uh, at least a little bit familiar with the story of the wise men. But just for fun today, let's just wreck some falsities that you may have in your head about this. Okay, this will be good. Matthew chapter two, starting in verse one, look at your text. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? 
For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So uh, this is where we meet the wise men, okay? The wise men, you've heard of the wise men. Uh, Sometimes it is translated magi in different translations of the Bible. They are known as magi. And and, uh, we know exactly how many wise men there were, right? Three, right? Three wise men, because the song tells us, right? We three kings. Problem is the Bible never tells us that. The Bible never mentions how many there are. It does tell us that there are three gifts later on in the story, which is probably why the songwriter postulated that there were three wise men. But uh, it's, 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 it's a, a much more likely that there is a full entourage of uh, these magi coming from the east. Uh, mostly, most of uh, the commentators I read postulate that there's an entourage of them because uh, it is extremely unsafe to travel long distances at this time in history and to have a larger entourage would have given you a little bit more protection in terms of numbers. Uh, Plus, it does say that as they come into Jerusalem, they cause quite a stir. And like three dudes on camels doesn't normally cause a stir in a large city. And so uh, it might explain the stir that they cause if there's a few more to their number. So we know that there's likely more than three, but we also know where they're from, right? You know the song, We Three Kings of Orient are, which is kind of Yoda talk, a little backwards with their verbs, but uh, they're from the Orient, which is not even close to PC anymore, right? I mean, the song has got to get some revision here, but uh, we don't know really where they're from. The text simply says they're from the East, from the East, okay? Now, there are lots of guesses as to where these wise men are actually from. Uh, and uh, all the commentators I read, there's really only four possible answers. There's really four possibilities. Arabia, Babylon, Persia, or Egypt. And the reality is this. Ain't nobody knows where they actually came from. The Bible tells us they're from the East, but it's a lot of guesswork that goes into this. We know they're from the East, and we know that they know something of the Hebrew messianic prophecies. They know something about the promise of a Messiah. Uh, Maybe it came from uh, when Daniel and his cronies were sent into exile in Babylon. Maybe uh, at some point in Babylon, that that message got recorded down. And and so the Babylonians maybe have kept record of this. Maybe it's just from the scattered Jewish diaspora all across the known world at this time. In each one of those cities, there's a large population of Jewish people who live there. So, but we really don't know where they're coming from. We just know they're coming from far away in the East. And then the song calls them kings. We three kings. Uh, But what we read in the ESV is uh, that that they were wise men. Or if you're reading in a different translation, they are traditionally called magi, which is where we get the English word magician. Magi, magician, okay? Here's what we know about these, uh, these, these magi. Magi were a priestly caste of magicians and astrologers who were wise in interpreting the stars. That's who the Magi were. And, 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 and this is of the utmost importance, okay? The Magi were Gentiles. They were non-Jewish. And, and not just Gentiles, but they were magicians. They were astrologers. The Hebrews, were not, they're not like even indifferent to this type of Gentile. This, these were practices that were forbidden from the Hebrew life. So I'll put this on the screen. Deuteronomy 18 says this. 
There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or daughter as an offering. That's great news, okay? Um, Anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead, for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. So these were pagan Gentile magicians, okay? And their practices were considered abominations to God. And they show up to Jerusalem and they say, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star and we've come to worship him. Have you ever heard someone say, or possibly said yourself, I'm, I'm on a search for God. Like I'm, ser- I'm seeking out God. Like in the church world, we call people like, we call them seekers. You may have heard of like seeker sensitive churches, like seekers. Let me just say that. Uh, I love the idea of I'm on a search for God. I'm seeking out God. Um, I understand the sentiment but I think it's theologically inaccurate. Uh, In Romans chapter three, quoting the Psalms, Paul says this. He says, no one is righteous. No one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. See, biblically, theologically, at least at first, you don't first seek God. God seeks you first. And that's my first point. God pursues us First, Now, if you think that you're seeking God, it's only because he's pursued you first. And it doesn't matter if you're a Calvinist or you're an Arminian or you don't even know what those words mean. It doesn't matter at all, okay? All across the faithful theological spectrum, there is agreement that God pursues us first. The wise men, they came and they sought out Jesus, but only after a star showed up only after God initiated in pursuit. Now, Matthew's predominantly Jewish audience would have been astonished by the start of the story. Like if you're a Jew in the first century and you're reading this story, you would have been blown away that God had made himself known and revealed the birth of the messianic king to pagan, demon-worshiping magicians from the very hated enemies of God's people. This would have been astonishing. Two takeaways from this first bit, okay? Uh, First takeaway is this. Jesus is the king of the whole world, not just the Jews. And for our purposes today, not just people who look like or live like or think like we do. Jesus is the king of the whole world. And listen, this is why issues of justice and racial reconciliation and global missions and reaching unreached people groups and even evangelism in your neighborhoods and your places of work and your families, these these are all gospel issues. They're all Christian issues. 
You see, so serious is God about the ends of the earth being reached and redeemed and ransomed that in the very story of the birth of Christ, three wise men from the east see a star and they head west. God is pursuing them. That's the first takeaway. God is for the whole world. Second takeaway is this, if you're here in this room or, or even online today and, and you've got that seeker sense right now, like you have a sense that you are kind of on the hunt, that you're searching for God in some way, like you sense maybe an emptiness in you or, or like the, the hole in your life and, and you're interested in figuring more out about God or Jesus or Christianity, I just want to pose to you today that God is actually pursuing you that he's on the hunt for you. Like for those of us who are followers of Christ already here today, when we look back in the rear view of our lives, as we look back at our stories, man, there are all kinds of stars as it were, like stars that, that, that seemed coincidental. But, but as we look in hindsight, they were the fingerprints of God's pursuit of us. Right? Like that person who, who seemingly just came into your life that situation that just kind of played out the way that it did. And listen, for some of you in here, maybe even online today, God is showing up right now and he's sending stars for you to follow. He's pursuing you first and you might be seeking him, but it's only because he's initiated some things in you. So that leads me to my second point from today's passage, right? Like if it's true that God pursues us first, then it's also true that we pursue God in response. We do, we pursue God in response. So back to our text this morning, look at verses three through nine. We're gonna see this. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Verse nine, after listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. So it's quite obvious in that passage that the wise men are pursuing Jesus. They are pursuing Christ, okay? Uh, and they are following the star and all that. And we're gonna get into that. But what's fascinating before we talk about the wise men is, is the response of the other characters in this story. Which was, it was fascinating to me. So first, Herod, okay? I, I get why Herod, I totally understand why Herod was, as, as we read in verse three, troubled, Right, he's troubled. That's a, that's a nice way of saying he was freaking out, right? He was troubled when he heard the report from the wise men because here, here's why I understand this. Herod was the actual king of the Jews right then. Like he's the king. 
Herod is the actual king. And when you hear that there's a new king being born, you're going to be troubled. It's going to put your kingdom at risk. So that troubledness makes sense to me. But, but then did you see what happened with the chief priests and the scribes? They're the ones who stood out the most to me in my read this week. So the, the chief priests and the scribes are like the religious elite in Jerusalem, in the capital city where the temple is. These are the pastors and, and the seminary professors of their time. And their responses is mind-blowing to me, right? Like, like, I'm surprised that they didn't just start gathering up their stuff to head to Bethlehem. Like, these are the chief priests and the scribes. These, these are the guys who know the scriptures. They're the experts on the Messiah who's to come. They're supposed to investigate these kinds of claims. And they didn't even have to look it up. Do you notice that? They don't even have to like look up the scripture reference. They're not like, where's the scrolls? We should probably do a little research here. Now Herod's like, hey, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? And they're like, easy. The prophet says in Bethlehem of Judea. But they're not making a beeline to Bethlehem. It's not even that far. Okay, Bethlehem's only like six miles from Jerusalem. I ran six miles yesterday. Like, are you kidding me? They're not even talking about a long walk here. They don't even make any sort of assertion as to whether this claim is true or false. My question is, what happened to these guys? How can you be trained in and know deep, beautiful truths about who God is and be totally unmoved by them? Wait a second. Anybody feel that? Anybody ever feel like they know the stories? Like they know that God pursues us and that we are to pursue him back, but then when push comes to shove, we really don't pursue him all that much? Like you know about Jesus, but do you really know him? I heard this illustration uh, from another guy, another pastor. I thought it was helpful. Uh, he said, it's like, uh, it'd be like me reading a book about dating Marcy while I was sitting at dinner on a date with Marcy. That's the illustration he said. He's like, he's like you've got a book, you're sitting across the table, a romantic dinner, and I'm just deep in my book reading about how she doesn't want me to read books on our dates. Right, like that's the chapter I'm in. I'm like, okay, yeah, so don't read when you're on a date. Mm, that's good. Okay, babe, hand me my highlighter. I gotta write this one down. I gotta star this. I gotta underline this. Like, yeah, this is good stuff. And she's like, hey, why don't you just put the book down? And I'm like, hey, shh, I'm trying to learn how to date you, right? That's kind of the idea here. Oh, church, that we would take all the more seriously our pursuit of Christ. Oh, that we would not be the type of people who know the Bible and miss Jesus. God pursues us first, but we pursue God in response. And then let me make my third and final point of the morning. It's this, our pursuit is by faith. Our pursuit is always by faith faith. Let's finish the text. Look at verses 10 through 12. When the wise men saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. 
And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Everything that the wise men do in their pursuit of God, of the star, of this Messiah is done through faith. Let me, let me make my point here. First of all, these guys aren't Jewish. We've already covered that. These are, these are Gentiles. These are non-Jews. They see some astronomic or astrological sign, remember some sort of like archaic Hebrew prophecy and decide to make a move. Think of the faith that would have taken Then they can decide, okay, we're going to leave the east, wherever that is, and we're going to head west, which seems easy enough, except for they don't have airplanes or buses or trains, right? In the first century, this type of journey would have been extremely dangerous, extremely costly, and extremely uh, uncomfortable. I mean, goodness, think of the faith it would have taken for them to just make that journey. And then I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but they didn't even know where to go. Think about that. They didn't even know where to go. They showed up in Jerusalem. They show up in Jerusalem probably because that's where they expected a king of the Jews to be born. Right? Jerusalem is the capital. It's the temple uh, is there. Certainly, this is where they expect a king of Israel to be found. And so they show up and they're just like, hey, where's this Messiah? Where's the king supposed to be born? Where's he at? I mean, think of the faith it takes to walk into a foreign nation and just say, I'm here to worship some king that was born. Think of that faith. They get their answer. Well, he was born in Bethlehem. They're like, all right, we're going there. No questions asked. No follow-ups. They're just like, okay, cool. Where's Bethlehem? And, And remember, the Bible even talks to us about Bethlehem, that Bethlehem was like a ghetto little town. It's not like it's a major metropolis. It's sketchy, all right? They're like, nah, he's not born in Jerusalem. Head on down to the sticks. That's where he's gonna be. Think of the faith this would have taken. Then they make that six-mile journey, okay, six or so miles to Bethlehem. They find the house. Now, you know, here's the part that's interesting. Most scholars think Jesus at this point is likely one to two years old based on the timelines, okay? So if you've got your nativity sets at home and they've got wise men in it, throw those wise men in the trash. They weren't anywhere near the manger, okay? Actually, you can move them into the garage or something because that's probably about how far they were away from the nativity scene, okay? They need to do their research, those Advent people making their dollars on wise men, all right? But they show up, okay? They show up, maybe the baby's one to two years old at this point. They come, they find a poor family in a sketchy town with a toddler. And what did the text say they did? It says, they fell down and worshiped him. Now listen, I don't know when the last time you were around a two-year-old was. But there is nothing about a two-year-old that has ever invoked in me a desire to worship him. I've wanted to do other things to two-year-olds, but not worship. It's never been worship. And yet these wise men from the East fall on their faces before a toddler. Think about how much faith that took. And then they give him the gifts. This is where we think there's three, right? Gold, frankincense, myrrh. 
You ever, you ever wonder if they did a double take when they realized this was actually a baby and think, yeah, maybe these gifts aren't appropriate for a toddler. I mean, really? Gold? Like, like can you imagine them just like chatting like, Ted, you're gonna give the kid the gold? Really, what is your wife gonna think when you give all the frankincense to a toddler? Like, what are you doing? And then, I mean, obviously, if you're an essentials oil person, you're like, myrrh, of course. What a great gift, right? Because if they put that on the bottom of the baby's feet, he's gonna be a genius, right? Rub a little bit on his temples, he can float around. That'll explain the miracles. It was the myrrh, right? Don't send me emails on that, okay? That was a joke. Think of the faith it would have taken for these wise men to find themselves in the home of Mary and Joseph and Jesus to fall on their face and give him lavish worship and praise. All of their pursuit is by faith. And hear me, so is ours. So is ours. Ephesians 2, eight through nine says this, for it's grace that you have been saved through, through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works so that no one may boast. Present in the story of Jesus' birth is the very essence of the gospel, church. They came and we come by faith alone. By faith, the wise men believed a foreign prophecy. By faith, they risked their lives to walk across the ancient world. By faith, they stopped in Jerusalem. By faith, they worship a two-year-old. They pursue him by faith alone. And you might be thinking, well, they brought him gifts that surely earned them some credit. They're not even gifts that are good for a two-year-old. He doesn't even want those gifts. It's not the gifts. It's the faith that's the gift. See, how much better this story is than we three kings of Orient are? I mean, this story is vivid and it's full and it's dense and you can chew on it and it is full of the gospel. God pursuing us, even those who would seem to be the furthest away from him and in response, we pursue him by faith. So the question is, where are you in this story? The story is not about you, but you can find yourself in some of these stories. Where are you? Feel like the wise men, like, like you're seeking him right now? You sense maybe there's some stars in your life kind of leading you in his direction? Listen, maybe this Advent season is the time that you'll realize maybe for the first time, that God is actually in hot pursuit of you. Like the great preacher Charles Spurgeon said, he is the hound of heaven and he's got your scent. And maybe you'll respond by giving him your life. Maybe you'll accept him as Lord, as savior, as who he claims to be. Like, listen, all you have to do is just say, Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. And that begins your pursuit of him. Frankly, many of us in this room, maybe we'll find ourselves more in the place of the, the high priests and the scribes. Right? Like where this book, these, these characters, this story, these scriptures, they've become 
so commonplace to us that we're in danger of maybe missing Jesus. See, this story is a call back to worship Jesus. To those who believe, this is a story not to fall into the complacency of the scribes and the high priests, but to remember the magi, to remember the wise men that they pursued Christ. They paid everything they had to a toddler, even when it made no sense. See, this is a story to call us back to worship Jesus, to fall once again on our face and worship him as the God who come, the lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. So we are all called to pursue him by faith. Right? It's not the gifts that the wise men bring. It's not those gifts that they bring that earns favor with God. Rather, it's their faith to pursue. And that's actually the gift. Like you don't, you don't have to bring something. What are you going to bring? You have no gift to bring. Pa pom pom. So that song means, by the way, listen, no matter who you are or what you've done, by grace through faith, you can be saved. It's a gift. So this second week of Advent, I want you to remember the gospel. I want you to remember the gospel from this magnificent story of the wise men. Maybe you believe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time. But I want to challenge us to lean heavy into him this season and to pursue your pursuer. Let's pray together. And Father, what a joy it is to read a story that is cherished and familiar and often oh too easy to skim through. And yet when we look a little deeper and when we take off some of the cultural lenses, we see a magnificent gospel proclamation even in the second chapter of this gospel. Father, I first want to pray for my friends in, in this room and on, online, viewing online, maybe even listening to this later, who, who already have bowed the knee to you as Lord and Savior, but maybe find ourselves veering off into the ways of the high priests and the scribes. Lord, maybe we've, we've just become a little indifferent. We've become a little sluggish. We've become a little sloppy with these texts, over-familiarized with this good news. And I pray, Lord, it is refreshed in our hearts and in our minds today as the good news it truly is. That that as you've pursued us, we get to pursue you by faith. What good news that is to remember this Christmas. And Lord, I do want to pray for our friends who are joining us, who, who have yet to kind of make that statement, to, to bow the knee to you, to put that stake in the ground that says, I believe I, I, Jesus come into my life. I, I pray, Lord, that if that has happened today, that if in their heart and with their mouths, they have proclaimed you as Lord, Lord, that today would be the beginning of their pursuit of you. That they would see all of those stars as you calling and wooing, whispering and yelling at times. And that now they can reciprocate and, and pursue you back. Lord, the angels in heaven rejoice if that is the case today. Lord, for all of us, we want to worship you. We don't want to miss you this Christmas. So give us eyes to see and hearts that are soft for how good it is that, that you sent your son, that he came 
as a baby in a manger and that manger would one day lead to a cross and that cross would, would one day lead to our salvation. Thank you, Father, for the good news of the gospel. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.